This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is pre-recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. back folks here on the michigan insider sports talk 1050 wtka online at wtk.com sam webb mr ira wine tribe on the other side and we have our friends from mgo blog who join us in this hour to talk all things university of michigan football basketball baseball hockey recruiting we talk it all when it comes to the maize and blue uh, and there's a ton to break off this week from big 10 media days to a huge recruiting week for football and basketball. Joining me to dissect it all, as they do every week, the crew from MGO Blog, starting with Brian Cook. Brian, how are you this morning? I am well. It is good to see you well, my friend. Seth Fisher is with us also. Seth, how are you? Good morning. Happy Michigan week. Absolutely. <laughs> and then, of course, the venerable Craig Ross. Craig, how are you this morning? I'm doing fine. Uh, I'm glad to discover we have a fish expert on today and Brian Cook. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, uh, guys, I got to tap into your expertise on, on a lot of things. There's so much to unpack from, from media days to, you know, the Michigan component to the furtherance of talks about expansion. You got the barbecue at the big house coming up this week with a slew of, of top targets slated to come in for the football program. Uh, and right now with the basketball program, a big, big, big time recruiting week is Isaiah Collier, the number one point guard in the country, slated to come in, in today. And then they already have, you know, arguably the the top target on the on the board in the front court on campus right now in four star power forward Zayden High. And fellas, I, I went down to the NBA Players Association Top 100 camp and saw this young man in action, sort of culmination of a spring sort of breakout for him where he has been, he's gone from off the radar and it was, you know, you, you didn't really hear about him from a power five standpoint to now schools all over the country are chasing him. None more vigorously than Michigan. They were one of the early adopters, Jawan Howard personally, you know, when Jawan jumps on a guy as hard as he jumped on Zayden high early, that that is a dude. So between, the attention that Juwan is putting on him personally to Saudi Washington, prioritizing him as well. This is a top, top guy who strikes me as a longer version. And I'm curious what you guys think, starting with you, Craig, haven't seen him a bit. He strikes me as a longer sort of Isaiah livers. I wonder what you think of that comparison. Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. Uh, he is taller. Uh, I think he about equivalent as an athlete, maybe a little better or potentially a little better. Uh, 
maybe a little more flexible and that his game down uh, near the rim probably because he is taller and longer is is a little better i think his shooting stroke is similar yeah, it is. Uh, and i think he defensively can be a very i mean i think he will be actually a good defender at the college level i think he's probably an nba player uh how long i, think he I don't definitely know definitely is an nba player. yeah i don't know if it's in a year or two years or whatever it is but he looks like he looks like he has uh, NBA capacity. Yeah, he's a, he's a, a nice prospect. He would be phenomenal at Michigan. He's a great fit with Michigan. Uh, Jawan Howard do, has, does a good job with big guys. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think actually that uh, Matt, at, at, who, who posts on Brian's site, yeah, talking about him oh, he loves him. Bit. He loves yeah, and, he yeah. he's he's all about Jaden. I he's like yeah. I, I'm like I, I looked up his profile. And Matt was I'm like he's six seven. He's like no, he's six nine. <laughs> he's like that. This guy is absolutely legit. Yeah, so so if you watch Zayden High stroke, and it's important to remember Isaiah Livers was a a multifaceted uh, sort of big wing. Michigan looks at their at their fours as like a big wing. You got to be able to shoot it. They want you to be able to put it on the deck for a few bounces. Can you guard? Can you guard quickness? Do you allow them to be the kind of versatile defense that they want to be, to be able to switch everything on the perimeter? Can you guard? Uh, you know, if you wind up switched on a guard, can you stay with that guy? I think Zayden High brings all of those tools to the table. And this is the ultimate measure. If to me, when you're any of these big guys, you go back to Terrace Reed, you look at Musa Diabate, and you compare Jawan Howard's player development to other coaches in the game. I'm not saying other coaches can't do it, but who can do it better than Jawan Howard? And this is my ultimate measure, Brian, is I, I just don't think that if you look at the arc of the career of a guy like a Isaiah Livers or any of the other sort of big wings that we've seen in the three-year sample space of Jawan Howard, that you can make the argument that there is no better developer a front court developer in the country than Jawan Howard. Yeah, and that goes back to his days at the Heat, right? So he got Bam Adebayo, um, and I forget his name. There was the guy who was playing for the Nanjing Monkey Kings, who got an NBA <laughs> max level contract. Um, and you know those, you know Adebayo came out of Kentucky, right? So he had one year with Calipari. That's Jawan Howard being a college coach, right? That guy's no older than any freshman in college, basically. So. Yeah, he has a he has a ton of experience in this department, and High looks like a guy. He actually reminds me a lot of DJ Wilson. So, a couple mm -hmm. more inches than than Livers. I think Wilson was a little bit longer. High has got probably projects to be a little bit better rebounder. I mean, Wilson yeah. was able to you could move Wilson out. And High is a little thicker, so I, I think that kind of multi-faceted four is a really important player on your team. And Michigan hopes to have it with you know. Uh, a guy like, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on the kid from DC who's six foot seven is going to play the four this year, guys. <laughs> T. Will. T. T. Will. Thank you. <laughs> Getting old. Uh, it's early in the morning so that, for bloggers, okay? <laughs> so, so, yeah, Terrence Williams is that guy. But, you know, if you can get a 6'10 version of that, that's a really valuable player to have on your team. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a, just a huge, huge target for Michigan. It'll be interesting to see how things develop from from here because like i said i mean the the amount of focus that they placed on him specifically there are a lot of guys out there on the board a lot of guys that you saw them tracking 
but I didn't see them looking at any prospect any harder at the top 100 camp than Zayden High. They were all over him. He clearly is a top, top, top priority uh, for this program. We'll see how things uh, shape up from here. Uh, and then from there, you go into another top, top target they've been tracking in Isaiah Collier, a guy who just a few months ago, you didn't really see or hear at least in interviews, them be a major, major focus, but very quickly based on the relationship that they formed with that kid and his family, the, the development that you've seen uh, with, with their point guards, the, the track record for success, continued success under Juwan Howard, I think they're a real factor for Isaiah Collier too. So this is just a big recruiting week overall. It's, here's the crazy thing as we segue over into football, fellas. I, I mean. You go from the Pure Michigan tour to you, to Big Ten Media Days in between. You come right back home. You got to jump into the barbecue at the Big House where you got a lot of top 23s coming in, especially on the defensive side. It's like every top corner on their board is going to be in town from, uh, from Chris Peel, who's slated to be in town, to you go down to, to Kankakee and Jair Hill is, is, is slated to be in town. Uh, as well, I mean this 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 Aaron Gates, the Florida commit, uh, is slated to be in town. So uh, they are really you're getting a, a couple of top offensive line targets slated to be in town. We'll have a full list over on the MichiganInsider.com. Recruiting is really really picking up steam in both sports. So a lot of exciting things. But I want to give you guys. I don't know if you have any any more comments on football recruiting. If you do, jump in. But I want to get over to media days and get you guys' take on Big Ten media days and your your big takeaway. So I'll start with you, Brian, and work my way around the tape. Oh, I just like the fact that nobody had any questions for Pat Fitzgerald because Fitzgerald was like, oh, we went three and nine. I get it. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, he's been a bit of a stick in the mud, so it's, it's pretty funny. And like, uh, I mean, I think the big takeaways are the things that Kevin Warren's been saying. So coaches are coaches, right? And they're just going to kind of say the same things every year. But Warren kind of coming out, referring to uh, the 14 schools and soon to be 16 in the Big Ten as brands was a little bit. Eh. But, you know, he made some good points about how L.A.-based schools give Michigan, not Michigan, the Big Ten, another window. Like in terms of you can have a late night window now for for uh, television purposes, which is going to be interesting because I'm not sure a lot of Big Ten fans are going to want to <laughs> have their uh, teams playing at 11 at night, but that's something that might be happening. So all yeah. glory to the TV guys. Huh? Yeah, times are a-changing for sure. Uh, everyone, and they at least feigned excitement about that, right? Say, hey, you're going to wake up in the morning to your point, watch Big Ten football, go to sleep at night. Like you said, watch a Big Ten football. So, uh, But the, the teams that are are currently uh, in the Big Ten and the expectations for them, I mean, they they all are talking positively like you, like you see at any media day, thinking that, that they're going to be better than ever or at least better than last year. The curious thing for me, was Jim Harbaugh's comments because his were on another level of optimism, right? Where he said, not only are we going to be better in the passing game, he said, we're going to be better on defense and because this, this no name aspect of the defense is going to increase competition. And I've seen it before. We saw it last year 
with the offense. Remember I told you guys we were going to run the football. We were going to pound people. Remember, remember, remember. Well, remember what I'm saying about this defense. I got the sneaking suspicion we're going to be better on defense. A lot of raised eyebrows to that one, Seth, but he repeated himself <laughs> several times. I, I, I can see what he's talking about. Um, the no-name part is what's interesting to me because of the like the Ravens' amoeba style of playing defense. And last year, I mean, we talked about how they were going to do that, and they only did a little bit of it because, I mean, we all remember David Ojabo trying to cover Jackson Smith the Jaiba. That's just not that's not happening. Uh, you can do a little bit more. I still would not have him covered Smith the Jaiba, but you can do a little bit more with Jalen Harrell uh, at, at, at that wing spot. Um, and that's how they're going to have to do it because I haven't really seen any of their uh, edges with any pass rush. Which, like, Harold just gets stuck on guys. Uh, Upshot hasn't really gotten around anybody. We've seen very little from uh, McGregor. Morris is probably their best pass rusher, and he just does it the old-fashioned Glenn Steele way of shoving the guy into the into the face of his quarterback. So if that's what your pass rush is like, you kind of have to get it from somewhere. I think you have to get it from Junior Colson. He looks like a fantastic pass rusher. He's a great athlete. Uh, I think you can get it off out of some of your nickels. And that's the other side of it is they can play a lot more man this year. Uh, Vincent Gray was a good version of Vincent Gray last year, but they had to play a lot of zone in order to make sure Vincent Gray was not you know, put out of his abilities. Well, they probably can put Will Johnson on pretty much anybody. And then you got Turner on the other guy. And then your Nichols, what Zeke Barry or saying, or so like somebody who can cover. So they, the way the Ravens made that work wasn't by playing the way Michigan played last year. Last year, they just said, okay, look, we're going to rush four guys and two of them are going to be Hutchinson Ojabo. Good luck. This year, I think Jenkins gives them a little bit more pass rush up the middle, hopefully. But the way they have to generate pass rushes, bring it from different places and not let you know who, where the hole is, right? Like they move this guy over here to cover that hole and move that guy over there to cover that hole. Sometimes they play cover zero. And I mean, Minter, ironically, gets to be the one to install the defense that we all thought McDonald was going to put in. Obviously, both of them were on the Ravens staff when they did that. So that's, I think, what he's talking about. Seth? I mean, that's Seth. Craig? Well, I mean, Jermon Green, I assume, is still a factor at corner he is. here, too. Yes. He so I don't, I don't want to leave him unmentioned. The uh, couple of things. One, Coach Fitz, I hate to hear him badmouthed. I know that he isn't always the favorite person. Uh, around Ann Arbor, but I, you know, he, when I, when I wrote my first book, I actually got an email from him and I had a sequence of, uh, of emails back and forth with coach Fitch. I can't imagine any other uh, coach doing that really. And so I always sort of have a warm spot in my heart for him because he, he was very open and very accessible. So I'm a fan of his, Uh, the, uh, in terms of, uh, media day, I'm a little skeptical of, of this idea that we're going to get, I mean, I, partly because Dave Nasternak and I uh, started going back through last year's games and we've been at night a couple times a week, we've been watching games from last year and I've just been focusing on Hutchinson and man, he was better than I thought, right? <laughs> when he, Every I mean, game. I mean, he was unbelievable as to how good he was and, and how much of it and how much of a difference a guy like that makes to your defense is is hard to sort of quantify. It was like when Charles Woodson left 
Well, you know, you say, oh, you've got your whole defense back. You're only losing Charles Woodson. Well, yeah. Uh, and, and so, and that's what Hutchinson was only in a different position. So I guess I'll wait and see. I, I think this is a year um, uh, where the offense, unlike last year, where we thought, okay, the defense is going to have to carry this offense a bit. I think this may be a year where the offense is going to have to carry the defense a little bit, at least. I think the defense can be good, but I feel sort of inevitable there's going to be a step down. It's not, I mean, Ojabo was good, Dax Hill was good, but Hutchinson was something else. I, I, and, I'm not going to disagree with you, but I'm also going to tell yeah. Mike Morris that you just called him James Whitley. <laughs> no, no, I did not. I, I like my, I like, I, I did not say that. And, and because you know, I like Mike Morris a lot. And I yeah, mean, listen, I, I tell you what you mentioned, Mike yeah. Moe, and I, I just I do have this sneaking suspicion that he is going to be a guy for this. Not I'm not ready to say clearly not ready to say Aiden Hutchinson, but I think his his game is going to jump a couple of notches. I, I think that his his situational awareness. We talked about one of his plays, one of his standout plays during the season. The Nebraska on the round table, right? The Nebraska play. Yeah. I asked yeah. him about that, and he was like, "Yeah." You know, watched it all week in practice, saw them, you know, burying defensive ends routinely. I kind of knew that that was that they were going to try to it was a red zone play for them. And he destroyed it. He destroyed that play just like he destroyed the play yeah. uh, against Penn State playing standing up. So you see the evolution of his comfort in the defense where they can do more with him. Athletically, he seems to be in the best shape of his life now. He really seems to be adopting the, the leadership role that. You know, I, someone has to adopt on that unit. I just think there are a lot of things lining up to him being a focal point for them defensively. Even so, I, I don't necessarily think that that equals what they were last year. It's, it's, it's going from Chris Hutchinson to, to Glenn Steele, right? <laughs> right. It doesn't have to be last year because if Harbaugh's right about the other thing, which I think is his other prediction, which is far less aspirational and much more, hey, you got some proof on tape to suggest that this is legit. He said, we look, I see these guys running around. We got six receivers who could be a number one guy. We got two guys buying to be the number one tight end in the country. We are going to, we are going to be more explosive. We're going to be better in the passing game. Not just, he didn't just broaden it and say, we're going to be better offensively. He said, we're going to be better in the passing game, which echoes what we've been hearing from the players all off season, Brian. So I'm getting kind of, my optimism is kind of building for what Michigan can be uh, when it comes to a downfield passing attack. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the things that I I discovered when I was doing some research is that Pro Football Focus had McNamara's downfield accuracy fifth in the country last year. Is that right? Huh. Yeah. So, you know, when Michigan needed him, I mean, they relied on the run game very heavily, but the counterpoint to that was hitting deep shots, right? And so... You know, he hits the fade to to Cornelius Johnson in the Ohio State game. He has another deep shot off that uh, the flea flickers, which we're going to do every game this year. Flea flickers <laughs> and halfback passes from Donovan Edwards, one per game, every game. Uh, and and I just feel like you have the you have the horses there in terms of the receivers because you you have Anthony who's going to be a sophomore. You have Cornelius Johnson back. You get you get Ronnie Bell back, like. Yeah, don't forget to say Roman Wilson. What is it with this fan base and not saying well, the name Roman Wilson? Hey, he's from <laughs> Hawaii. I never forget. Him. Well, I'm just I'm just talking about you know the guys who I think are going to be the downfield targets. Roman Wilson to me has a lot of speed, but you know 
there are going to be certain circumstances where he's going to be targeted deep, but to me, he's the breast of this particular core uh, where you're going to want to hit him with the slant and see him go, go, go. But, and you know, Anthony's 6'2", and Cornelius Johnson's 6'2", and Wilson just doesn't have that size. That's why, not because I'm disrespecting Roman Wilson. <laughs> I project him to have a different role on the offense, Seth. Uh, <laughs> I'm disappointed in myself, Roman Wilson's stand of the offseason, because it seems like he's keeps on getting forgotten whenever people keep on going to Andre Anthony before you go to Wilson. And like well, that's just that's kind of Harbaugh's point. That's mm-hmm. kind of Harbaugh's point. He's, look at all these, look at all these guys that we right. have. Didn't even mention Ronnie Bell, who looked for a half, looked like he was going to be a fantastic downfield threat, right? Which is not what you would have characterized him as heading into last season, but he seemed to have another gear. He was making contested catches. One-handed I mean, catches. He was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was just, he was killing in one half. If you can draw that out over a season, then wow. So he, here's a, a pointed question for you guys. And one that, uh, you know, I got to credit Mike Spath for. Uh, and this came to him from someone in the program. He said, well, what does Kay McNamara have to do to show you that he's the guy, considering what you just said, Brian, that he, that what PFF had him number five in the country in, in downfield shots. For, for me, I'll start out with me. To me, it is not leaving as many plays on the field. That sounds a little counterintuitive with that stat you just gave, but there are some throws that weren't, there were some shots that weren't taken. Not just, you know, I'm not just talking about just, you know, the shots that were taken and missed. There were some that weren't attempted. So to not leave as much meat on the bone, which is a phrase that Harbaugh himself used after I think the Wisconsin game last year, so one of those games said we can't leave as much meat on the bone. That is the measure. Do they capitalize on more of the shots that are there? If if Cade McNamara makes that has that maturation, then I think that that's the way that he can hold JJ McCarthy off. But that that's the only way he holds him off. Well, I mean, I'm. You, everybody always wants the the guy with the upside to be the guy, and I feel like most of the time there's a reason that the guy who's starting is starting, and that's not necessarily going to change over the course of a year. Now I think you're going to see both guys play all year just because McCarthy brings a running element that McNamara never will. Right? It's just not going to happen. Like there was. Michigan motioned a running back out of the offense to get a four-man box, and that's when McNamara got to got to run for twelve yards because there was a four-man box. So <laughs> he's always going to be a pocket passer. So how do you make that up? And you're you're right. You have to be precise. You got to be Drew Brees. You got to be Tom Brady, and you got to have total command of what you're doing at all times. And that includes taking the shots that need to be taken. And th- you're you're spot on. Like he needs to be a guy who knows exactly where he should go at all times and takes the maximum upside option. Um, and then has the ability to check it down and not get sacked. And I think he's really good at that. Like he, Michigan didn't give up very many sacks last year. And that has a lot to do with the offensive line, but that also goes back to the quarterbacks. So I think he is decisive. I think he, he is a guy who gets the ball out, but I, I think that too many times last year, it was a check down or something. And he needs to get the ratio correct and see see when he's got the shot. Yeah, yeah. McNamara knows what it's, Matt. What Mer- McNamara is the best at of the guys that I remember actually like paying this kind of attention to 
is he sees it before the snap, and that's a huge, that's a massive part of Harbaugh's offense. That's kind of how that how he operates, right? You go out there, you see how they're aligned, and then and you know where you're. Um, where they're not going to have an extra guy on the inside to protect you, right? McNamara is fantastic at that. A lot of times, what he would see is a mid-level read, like one of those where you have to kind of like fit it over a linebacker or something, and he just not like he doesn't take those shots. Um, now I didn't get to see the all twenty-two for most of the games, so like maybe I maybe just they weren't there. But judging from where the linebackers were. My guess is that there were a lot more of those kinds of shots that he never tried. And Washington game specifically, I know there were a lot of them because I was at that game watching for that specifically, and he just did not see it. And they were protecting the check down. And like if if that's going to be what you are, right, if you're not the guy who's going to be able to take those kinds of I don't risk your throws or maybe you don't trust your arm to do that, that's where McCarthy can be like, well, I can do that. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's the it's the downfield throws versus zone, uh, yeah. especially you know shots over the middle versus zone. Uh, that those are the ones that he he tends to check. I, I don't want to make it sound like he checked them down all the time, but when when you saw a check down, that was a a scenario that was quite common, was quite frequent. You know, a, a shallow cross with a dig behind it against zone. I'm mm-hmm. checking that down. Uh, and that was sometimes it would be a he would scramble and it would be a nice play, but I remember whether it was Devin or it was it was out. It's like yeah, but there's a there's a bigger play. <laughs> there's a bigger play here to be had. Those are the kinds of plays that if you're going to progress beyond what you were last year, those are the kinds of plays that will show that kind of progression in him. Uh, if he doesn't, I mean, you know, you can. You can maybe be back playing against Ohio State for the championship again, but can you move past them without that progression? I don't know, and I think that's the measure for for Jim Harbaugh is determining that. Can he capitalize on on more of those plays, or does it have to be JJ? I mean, the thing I like about McNamara is he seems to understand, or he does understand, that there's the worst event that happens in a football game is an interception. The worst event. And and uh, for an offense and or for a team and 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 he was very careful. And if you recall in the Ohio State game, Michigan's ahead seven nothing and about ready to smoke them in the first five or six minutes of the game. And uh, and Michigan's driving and he makes a very bad throw that's intercepted by by Ohio State down at about the four or five yard mm-hmm. line on that drive. And that was a sort of thing that he did very few times over the course of the year. Very, very little of that. And so I guess from my point of view, I'm willing to give up a little bit of that to gain not turning the ball over on, on interceptions. And, and in fact, it made sense last year because the defense was so good. Now, you know, because the defense was so good, you could maybe give up a play or two uh, in deference to not to not turning it over particularly where a they had a, just had a kick-ass ground game and b they seemed willing to go forward a little more on fourth down than has historically been the case and and so you know i'm not you know i don't know what has to happen to have McCarthy play over over McNamara. I, I just don't know. I mean, they're both good, and 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 whoever wins that job is is probably winning it for a reason. Yeah. I mean, for me, the bigger issue is what does right tackle look like? 
So, so two, so two things, and it's a great, it's a great segue and a great break point. But I, I agree with Brian that look, the floor for the quarterback competition is that both play significantly, right? Yeah. Uh, that 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 is the the minimum for both guys. Sure. Is that they they at least for the first half of the season they both play a lot. I, I think the turning point will be: do you do you see that added level being reached by? either guy in a in a span of games where both guys should be wildly successful it's a tougher measure because you're not seeing the you know the little, you're not seeing the the bastions the monsters of the midway you're seeing the little sisters of the poor for the most part except the exception being at Iowa against a pretty good secondary that will be a good litmus test for this competition in my opinion because to your point Craig you said Hey, I'll I'll take the the you know foregoing the bad or putting away the bad outcome, even if it means you, you take a few less shots. I think that's good enough to put you in contention. Is it good enough for you to win it? And that that I assume is the measure for Michigan. Repeating as Big Ten champions and winning a playoff game. Can you do that with last year's approach? I just don't think you can. You gotta show that you can do more. Can he show that he can do more? One thing that you can do more with is the offensive line, potentially. I want to get to this on the other side, Craig, because one thing that Cade said, he said the the offensive line this year, with the experience they have, and Olu Oluwatimi coming in, we want the offensive line not just looking at the front. We also want them checking the secondary and and making calls or or you know having their play being predicated on do they see a blitz coming from a from a corner or a safety right and and changing things up based on that we'll get to this on the other side and talk about the graduation the maturation of the offense and how that can affect uh their fortunes this season on the other side stay tuned for more immigrant blog roundtable when we come back here on the michigan insider on sports talk 1050 wtk the ticket clear on the radio all right, you yeah. guys, what do you think? I'm going to pull up a yeah. play that when, when Cade mentioned that, it made me think of it immediately. Right. Hold on, but go ahead. I, I think it's a great question. I, Who's right? I wasn't going um, I, I to get into this again because I know it's such a hobby horse for me, but like the, the zone right. reads, too, for McNamara are like his other big weakness there. Like he just, Yeah, of course. I mean, he does he, not keep it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he, right. And, and that's where uh, JJ is just, you know, and it and it changes and the beyond. running game. It it makes it a huge huge everything. difference for the running game. And when you got a guy like Blake Corum, who, you know, you break him into the second level, and it is going to be fun. Like that's that's where I think that like that's kind of why I'm leaning McCarthy by the end of the season. But McCarthy's got to get a long way to get to the point where they can trust him, like they can trust Kate. Because I don't want to underrate how good of a quarterback he is. I have a question for you guys. I mean, is it possible for a team to have too many weapons? I mean, is it possible that Michigan has too many guys, six wide receivers, two tight ends, two quarterbacks, you know, running? I mean, at some point in time, do do you have, uh, you know, are people sort of. uh, No, no, Craig, that's called a team. All right. <laughs> that's All right. What it, I mean, I'm not that's saying what, it that's is, why but... Ohio State can have the best receivers in the country and uh-huh. three guys going in the first round and and okay. let Alabama use one of them for a year because they don't need them. Like that's well, I, I don't mean, mind that. Right. I mean, that's why Brian Day is saying I assume I need 13 million to keep people out of the transfer portal. And 
So, but I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. Ryan Day needs $13 million to keep guys out of the transfer portal because the guys that he has came for money. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm not saying I'm not saying this is this as 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 any truth to it, but it, it's something you look at and you say, "My goodness, they have so many so many uh, playmakers on this offense, or playmakers and potential playmakers." Not even counting the the, the kids who came in. It, and, I mean, you do have to like you, you're. They're losing Samer still to the defense because there's you right. know you gotta you gotta get Henning on the field right and we haven't even right I, there's and you know Ronnie Bell is probably gonna go take over the slot but I mean that's what you're supposed to have when you look at the the teams that win championships co- consistently they have guys behind guys and sometimes you know you have a great player who'd be getting a thousand yards at another school but you know that that's if you want to win championships, you need to have more than one. Look what happened to Penn State last year. They had one quarterback, and they, they're playing Iowa. They're up 24-3 or whatever it was, and they're rolling. And yeah. then they lose their guy, and all of a sudden, they, they got nothing. Yeah, I'm, I, I can't find the play, damn it. But yeah. I, when you mentioned the right tackle, it made yeah. me think of that, and it made me think of what Cade said. He said, you know, Sharon Moore is working with the offensive line, working with Olu on, on checking the secondary. And it, it, there was a play in the Indiana yeah. game where J.J. McCarthy gets wrecked because your your right tackle didn't realize that a corner blitz was coming. Okay. And I remember, I remember, I can't remember if it was Devin or Al. Al I asked this at the time, and I, I think it was Devin. I said, Devin, can can you expect your right tackle to sort of anticipate? the the corner blitz coming and and adjust Coming based on that guys, based on that you just sort of see the safety kind of moving over to, moving off the over the uh over the hash and realizing that means a corner blitz is coming he's like saying i don't know if you can really have your offensive line doing that Going checking the secondary see where the safety is lined up i don't know that's kind of next level stuff sounds like that's exactly what sharon is Looking forward from his guys. Radio in five, four, three. So, fellas, offensive line is, I don't think it's too forward. I don't think it's overly optimistic, starting with you, Craig, to expect this offensive line to be better. Now, I understand that that's heavy. That's a heavy statement considering how good they were on the ground last year. But I expect them to be even better, even with the question mark that you just put at the right tackle position. Yeah, I, I, I'm hoping they'll be better too. I don't know if they will be better because uh, Andrew Stuber was a was a good player at right tackle, and I don't know if 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 they but if they can make an improvement there or at least stay steady there. The rest of the offensive line sure as heck should be better, I would guess, than last year. It's more you know you've got everyone back and they're experienced and they're good. And uh, I mean, well, Olu uh, takes over for Vistardis. Vistardis was an extremely smart guy. I think he's going to medical school. But the uh, but Olu was a Remington uh, finalist last year. So I don't think we're going backwards at center. And the rest of the line is is back. I can't imagine that this won't be a good line. You worry to some extent, or I worry a bit about Haskins because I thought he was just a remarkable player. And obviously Seth did too. We both have our Haskins jerseys up behind us. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he, he, he was a remarkable running back, but obviously so is Blake Corum and, and uh, 
Donovan, uh, you know, they're remarkable talents, whether they've got the brute, you know, uh, in, in short yardage downs. I don't, I don't know that yet, but that, those are the questions. That's it. And, and the questions are, you know, can you have a team with, with two quarterbacks and, you know, can you have a team where you're, where, you're, and I think both of them are going to have to play and they're both going to get time in the, in the first three or four games at least and how that sorts itself out. I know at this point, I have no clue. All looks good. I mean, you, the questions when you're I talking mean, if, about if you get you know, if right you win tackle. the Joe Moore Award and then you improve on the offensive line, that should rename it the yeah. Sharon Moore Award. Award. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and that was a yeah, big question. Like, how do you how do you improve? What's next level? I, I I honestly don't think that they were the best offensive line in the country last year, but like it was. Yeah. I mean, the, their level that they had was really good. They are, you know. One of the questions is how much is left over from Warner uh, and and how much is more teaching them. Uh, but I mean, from indications, you know, some guys have gotten a lot better and that doesn't really mean Warner found them. But I mean, the way that they were talking about Trente Jones, you were worried about right tackle. There was no competition this year. There was no like, OK, we don't know if it's going to be Barnhart or Jones. It was Oh, no, Trenty Jones is going to be the right tackle. They love that guy. He's graded out well. He played tight end last year, so it's a little bit easier. But usually guys who graded well as that six offensive lineman um, tend to come and fit in pretty well into the offensive line. We've got, uh, you know, Cesar Ruiz did that for a year. Vastardis is one of those guys, blanking on a couple others. But, you know, I think that Jones is going to be fine at right tackle. You might not get the kind of movement that Stuber always got, but he's a lot more agile than Stuber. And, you know, Hayes had a lot to improve. I He he really got kind of turnstiled a few times, especially by Penn State. But the edge rushers have come down a little bit in the conference. Edge rushes, like last year, the conference was – it was like centers in basketball. Like they just had everybody. And this year the, the competition is going to be a little bit lighter, so – that that could go a lot better. Yeah, I think, and Brian, I, I mean, again, you know, trying to seize upon what's the next level for this offensive line. I thought Andrew Vistardis far exceeded expectations. I, I thought his uh, his athleticism was underrated. Uh, he was he was more effective as a pulling center than I expected him to be. But there are times at the point of attack where you can really see him get bent back. I don't expect that to be the case. With Oluolowatimi, he gives you all the athleticism as a puller as well. And then he's a super, super bright guy. And so some of that recognition, some of that adjustment on the fly, and Kay talked a lot about this, that, you know, I'm going to see things and they're coaching him up on recognition as well, where, hey, he's going to be able to, he's going to be able to make a lot of things, a lot more things right, even as a new guy. I'm curious your take on, do you think that that's expecting too much when you got a brand new center coming into the fold? Yes, I do. Like, <laughs> especially because like, if we're talking about the organization of last year's offensive line, I think it's pretty hard to improve. I mean, their blitz pickups were really good. They made great adjustments on the ground. Like they were really good at identifying unusual things that the defense was doing and taking advantage of that. And some of that may be that they were, really well prepared for Ohio state in particular, because they had to change their defense mid season and they didn't mm -hmm. really have a whole lot of complexity, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's optimistic to think that the guy is going to come in in year one, you know, at a new team and no matter how intelligent he is going to be able to maintain that level. 
Now they'll probably be able to make up for it because you know Vistardis was not an NFL guy and Olu maybe probably is. So I think you might get flat performance at the center position, and I think that's going to be great. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I was, you know, Vistardis was not an NFL player, but I think I was higher on him than pretty much everybody last year, just in terms of what I've seen horror shows on the offensive line that I've gone over. (laughs) (laughs) Really very little of that. And whenever that happens, I'm, I'm, I I go back to the center and that's not just him, of course, but you know, I I think that he's an underrated loss for Michigan and they did really well replacing him, but I I don't think an improvement there is likely. Yeah, it'll be, I I definitely, at the point of attack, I am bullish on it. I definitely think they'll improve there. But overall, when it comes to blitz pickup, and and maybe it is, maybe it is aspirational to think that your 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 offensive line can make adjustments based on secondary play. But that's what they expect. You know, Cade was very forward in talking about they're make, trying to make my life easier by having your the offensive line sort of carry more of that load, and they think they can. With, with Olu in there. Here's the other thing that I found really interesting, another player, uh, because we were talking about right tackle, for instance. One of the ways in which you can maybe ease some of that pressure is if you get some help from the tight ends. Yeah. That didn't help against Penn State, right? I mean, man. And Eric all talked about it. He said, you know, here's the, here's the funny thing. I play, was playing terrible in that game. He said the <laughs> touchdown made it. He's like, it's great. I got a touchdown. Everyone's like, wow, you had a great game. He said, I was horrible as a blocker in that game. And he said, you know, as a blocker, I, I really got to get up to Scooney's level. He said, Schoonmaker or Schoonmaker is a, you know, in the, in the run game, I would say that he is a better blocker than me. And I tried to. What? what? <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I did the I grading on these guys. No. I hear, <laughs> I hear you. Hallelujah. Seth. I had the same reaction. Like what could he be talking about? And I think he's talking about recognition in the run game, the recognition of who to block, not necessarily always executing the block, but the recognition of who to block is next level for for Schoonmacher. And, you know, the the uh, the Big Ten championship game, the the play where J.J.'s running down the field and he makes the block. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Schoonmacher actually makes that he actually makes the block that springs that play. With, with great recognition, if you can get more of that consistently from him and you get more consistency as a blocker from, from Eric all, that's another level that you can get out of this, out of this yeah. blocking. I mean, I, I, I don't know how much, it might be a little too much to ask. And I, cause Eric all is the movement tight end, right? So Schoon gets to sit and and watch because he's the, you know, he's not moving. He's the guy on the line of scrimmage and all is usually coming across. I mean, that's what they love to do, and that's why all graded out so well as a blocker because they were running a ton of split zone and, um, and other things where you use that guy crossing to be your backside blocker, and he would kick out dudes way bigger than him. So, oh, give yourself some credit, man. That was great blocking. <laughs> but, but like when you're coming across, it's really hard to identify. You're on one side of the formation, and you get yeah. to the other side right before the snap, yeah. and then you're supposed to identify what's going on. You don't have that moment where you're like literally frozen in place and can look around and see what's coming. And I think that's probably where that's coming from. And I know this has been true for um, – other time, why am I blanking at his name? The guy who played as a redshirt freshman here, and Brian loved him, and then they switched him to being a movement tight end, and he kind of lost the uh, 
Massachusetts guy. Well, I'm blanking on his name. Ben Mason. It wasn't well. It wasn't Mason, but that's McCune? another example. Oh. Yeah, John McCune. McCune, yeah. McCune was like a fantastic blocker as a redshirt freshman for us. He was actually like really good at identifying things. Uh, and then they used him as that move guy the following year, and it was brand new to him, and he just uh, he missed a lot of his assignments, I think, because of that effect. Like, when you're coming across the formation, it's really hard to pick up on what's over there. The only guy I ever remember being really good at that was Aaron Shea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. You always try to pick out where where the guys aren't just giving you the stock line, right? You know, when they get specific about, yeah. you know, this is a strength. This is what I need to improve on. He Eric all said his his main problem is he he looks back to see if okay I made a block. I look back to see if the running back is is here. And he <laughs> said he would lose he would lose blocks like that consistently. And so he said yeah. he's gonna be he he can improve there. Uh, he can be better in that. He he felt like he was better as a as a pass pro uh, blocker than Schoonmaker. He felt like Schoonmaker was was better as a run blocking tight end. Which again, I was like, wow. <laughs> maybe I just maybe I just wasn't watching close enough because I would have given their the jobs were different. But Schoon had to get down and block and keep the linebackers from getting in on those plays, right? Because yeah. he's a block. He he's blocking down to the second level, and that's. That's hard. That takes a lot of agility. Uh, but he would miss a lot of those. I mean, once, as soon as like, the Kobe Dean got out there and was like, that's not oh, that, anybody's, anybody's going to lose to yeah, Dean. But, yeah, but not, he had I'm his way with him on that, in that game. Uh, but, yeah, he, he's right about the Iowa game. Schumacher had a really great game against Iowa. So how about this? Let's, so, guys, um, they were last year, they were very out front about how they've circled. They had circled Ohio State. They had Ohio State drills, so on and so forth. And all of them talked about Michigan State this year. They said, we don't have a Michigan State drill yet, but we're going to have one. You can mark my <laughs> word. We, we got to beat, we got to beat Michigan State. Like that, that is, uh, as much as we heard them talk about uh, Ohio State last year, I felt like I heard them talk about Michigan State like that this year. And I, I think while that game is always important, I mean, the, the magnitude of the game and, and its importance, like if you don't put, Mel Tucker down this year, uh, and he goes three and zero against you. It feels like he could be. This could be the start of his D'Antonio era. Maybe it already is. Maybe it's just saying, in a sense of denial, to say it's not already underway. But what do you think about the magnitude of that game, given his two and zero start to it, Brian? Well, I mean, obviously, it's a pretty important game. No, no, I mean, I mean, if you don't put them down now, do you think that this this catapults them into his D'Antonio era where D'Antonio, it wasn't just, you know, some success. He was wildly successful. against. Michigan. Yeah, I, I don't because I don't think Mel Tucker will be around Michigan State like D'Antonio. Like, I think someone will pick him off if he he's really that dude. If someone wants now, to pay him ten million a year, yeah, I mean, someone in the S. I mean, like he'll he'll end up at a place in the SEC probably. He's mm-hmm. you know he's from SEC country. That's he's not like a Midwest lifer like D'Antonio was, and he doesn't have a special burning passion for dunking on the University of Michigan like D'Antonio did. So, you know, I I feel like it's likely that if he does have success, he he'll move up to a place where he thinks he can win national championships. Now, do I think that's likely this year? No. I mean, they were extremely fortunate last year on that overturned call that we shouldn't get into lest my two co-hosts heads explode. Um, And, 
you know, they're they played way above their heads and just in terms of like they got extraordinarily lucky with Kenneth Walker and they were also uh you know a team that was about Nebraska's level last year and they had very different records than Nebraska because one of those teams was extremely unlucky and one of them was very lucky. So I kind of feel like the only thing that gives me some pause is that Michigan State is not being uh hesitant about NIL and I think Michigan needs to get on that and but that's something that will pay off in a couple of years if it does pay off. So I don't think this year that it looks like I'm particularly worried about that game. I mean, they're obviously going to be a solid team and that's a losable game for Michigan, but I think they should be favored by a touchdown or so. See, that, that response though is exact. That's you, you sort of got to the premise, the meat of, of the question. We talk about 2020. Oh, that's the COVID year, right? Just COVID year and Michigan really wasn't prepared. They weren't really in that game. They weren't prepared for it last year. Fluky. I mean, they took a touchdown off the board, right? That, that's why they won that game in the grand scheme, of things, which I think it happens to be true. But you win a third time. And can we still talk about uh, 20 was a fluke? Uh, 21, they got lucky. Can we do that anymore if they lose this year, Seth? I mean, Michigan State's always on. Michigan State beat us in, the, in 1990 as well. And like, okay, like, yeah, okay, State. Uh, I, what what is what's a Michigan State drill anyway? I get what Ohio State drill is, right? It's like you play uh, you play eleven on nine, and or you play nine on eleven, then you see what you can do. Um, but what's a Michigan State drill? Like they say something, you have to get offended by I it. Have like no idea. I have no idea. I just know. I I think it was uh, Eric All who said, "Yeah, we got it. I, we don't have one yet, but we're no, going I, to." I I I I, I get it, and I. I'm more worried about Mel Tucker being a Duffy Doherty than a Mark D'Antonio. D'Antonio, like, he built a program out of things that other schools were not looking at, right? He took guys that Georgia couldn't get into their school and, uh, and Florida couldn't get into school. He took he had guys sit around and learn his system for three years before he would even let them touch the field. And he just did not lose people, right? No matter like how many crimes you committed, he was gonna pick you up from the jail and put throw you back right in the field because he could not lose guys. Like, but that was a real program. I we joke about it, Michigan fans like to oh, no, but like D'Antonio created a program out of a system. Duffy Doherty realized there was an opportunity after the war to go grab talent in ways that Michigan State had not been able to grab talent before, and Michigan wasn't willing to try. And that's kind of what I'm worried is that Michigan's going to try to do things the old-fashioned way, and Michigan State is on the like cutting edge of grabbing transfers, the cutting edge of paying uh, paying players directly to come here, and. And 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 acting like it's already a free agency uh, system, and I mean, if last year they kind of got they got lucky, but if they get lucky again, then like sometimes like you know your credit pays itself off, and and I agree, you kind of have to shut them down a little bit now, uh, because no one can keep no one can keep on with a narrative of they should have lost a lot more games. All right, so real quick, Iris, steal me a couple minutes. We can't we can't cut the venerable one off. Craig, you have the floor here to end this. Well, I just, you know, <laughs> Seth's points are really good. And and the question, I it isn't just Michigan State who's in the pay for play game. It's Notre Dame, too. And and so that's, you know, 
that that's a change in the landscape. And I know that Seth, you, um, uh, Sam, you've been, it seems to me, now maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me you've been a little depressed about Michigan's recruiting, or at least earlier in the, earlier in the year you were. And I've never seen you depressed about anything. You're always such an upbeat guy, but you were shaking your head saying, ah, man, I don't know how this is going to work out. People are playing by other rules than what Michigan is playing by. I mean, and and so how this plays out, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you think right now. Uh, I mean, well, yeah. I, I definitely think. Look, they they definitely took a lot of L's uh, in the early going, uh, and I, I do think that they have an opportunity to make up for some of them mm-hmm. here down the stretch. But Brian's point is is correct. Look, they are going to uh, be at a deficit when it comes to their their willingness to engage in the pay for play thing. So it really raises the uh the 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 pressure to get the guys that you can get who don't uh you know who who don't require the pay for play so i i think they already missed on one which is which is uh dante moore nick harbour is another i don't think it, it'll take that to get him and so you got to get that guy <laughs> you got i mean that's a huge huge guy they'll still wind up with a good class regardless will it be will they be top 5 top 10 uh, consistently, I think that's the potential casualty here uh, if if they don't sort of show that they can consistently mitigate the uh, the NIL gap that they are are currently at with uh, a lot of their contemporaries. We are done on today's show. We can pick <laughs> that up. Will you pick that up next week with more MGO Blog Roundtable. Always a spirited session. Great to be back with you guys. Much closer to the season. Going to get even more fun. I'll see you next time here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK The Ticket, the official voice of University of Michigan Sports Ann Arbor, a station. Neither one of us, neither not, neither Craig nor I talked about the officiating in the state game. <laughs> I just want, I want that on record. We kept our mouths shut. <laughs> you, you, you tell this. <laughs>